0: Welcome back. We have an interesting uh, part two for all of you today, the revenge of the pending contract. We're going to finish out our notes. I also want to thank all of you who did um, send me your market statistics. We received quite a few market summaries of what's actually going on inside your MLSs, inside your individual markets, and it's pretty much what we surmised yesterday on the podcast. Like normal, the coasts are the first to slow down, and then it will basically be affecting the rest of the country with the Midwest being last. So what we're seeing is absolutely unquestionably a slowdown that's happening in the hottest markets on the West Coast, the hottest markets on the East Coast. We're unquestionably seeing a slowdown happen down in Florida. This is where it all happened before. It happened uh, in the exact same way. By before, I mean, you know, back in 07. It happened in the exact same markets, and I, you know, not to freak anybody out, but the other markets where we are expecting to see a noticeable slowdown are going to be Arizona and then in Nevada, and then after that, you're going to start seeing reports come from across the country. Uh, now, Julie and I, have, again, in addition to all the emails you guys have been sending us with uh, snapshots of your markets data, which again we appreciate, we have also been doing a lot of research on this as much as we can, and frankly, emailing and calling um, people that we trust. You guys got to remember, most media outlets are clueless when it comes to reporting on real estate information. They don't even know how to translate the real estate reports that have come out from any reliable source. So most stuff you guys are going to read on any of the major media outlets is going to be just for the most part garbage because it's going to be obsolete by probably 90 to 120 days. The best way for you to know what's going on is get inside your own MOS and actually study your own market statistics. Some of you don't know how to do that, and there's nothing wrong with not knowing how to do that. You haven't, frankly, needed to really know how to do that over the past 10 years, but you need to do it now. And when you do, you're going, I want you to break it out by price ranges so you can see where the markets are being affected the most. Um, I got a great report from Brandon Jackson. He shows in his market there's a one point six month supply of homes for sale, which tells me it's definitely still a seller's market. But if he pushes up in the price range, he then sees that there's the days in the market is in the years. So you you know know your market, know what you're getting into, and know how the market cycles start. What happens is typically the upper end slows down first and then basically it works its way down into the first time home buyer price ranges. Okay? You guys following me on all this? So know your market statistics. Be prepared. You're going to have to really get good at price adjustment conversations. Um, you know, and you, I'll give you a little hint here: never tell the seller to lower the price. <laughs> Always tell the seller things like, "We have lots of scripts for this." But uh, you have to say things like, Mr. Seller, we need to position the house on the market so that it correctly reflects the buyer's expectations or the market's expectations. So there's lots of little you know, nuanced ways to tell a seller that their uh, pricing might be a little aspirational. There's another one, right? Not overpriced, but aspirational. And not lower priced, but repositioned on the market. So those are the types of phrases and phraseology that you're going to have to uh, master because if you don't, The sellers, you you just won't you won't survive. To be honest with you, because the sellers will fire you. And it really comes down to psychology. It really comes down to understanding that nobody likes to be told their listing is overpriced. Nobody likes to be told that in some cases they're going to be losing money. You know, chances are guys, in many of the markets, especially those of you on the coast, the houses you sold in the last probably 18, 24 months, if those houses were to go for sale now, unless they put down a huge amount of money, they're going to lose money. There's a you know cold heart back was well, in New York City, I think Julie and I uh, shared yesterday. the values have dropped seven percent. Um now there was another report that came out that said, you know, economists are predicting that housing prices will increase by 6%, well, but that's not just a universal truth. It's going to be a market by market, price range by price range, Um, so again, bottom line, if you're a professional, you need to know your statistics, you need to know actually what's going on. Don't just listen to us, go in the MLS and do the homework, do the actual work and then start uh, churning out a report for yourself every single day. Brokers, office managers, it's your prerogative to do this for your agents and email it to them every single day. In a changing market, uh, brokers, office managers, it's one of the best times to recruit new agents because the brokers and office managers who are being complacent, who are not preparing their agents for the changing market, what happens is the agents will start to distrust them because they'll be wondering as they're seeing the days in the market extend, they'll actually wonder why is it that my broker office manager hasn't told me about this hasn't prepared me for this and then they start to basically make up stories in their heads and they start looking for different brokers and office managers so if you really want to rise above your uh, you know competing brokers for great agents the way to do it is the way we're doing it for and just copy us use the advice that we're giving you to give to your agents and then you'll find that people will flock to you because in times of uncertainty what almost certainly happens is all the people who were you know, essentially selling fluff and selling rah-rah and just being motivational, those people just go poof because they don't have the chops to handle the stress that comes with a changing market. You do you understand? Are you listening? So if your brokerage is based on some of these beliefs that, about real estate and about what it takes to be successful that were essentially spawned from the past ten years, you got to understand that probably a lot of the approaches that you and your brokerage and maybe a lot of your agents were taking to the business are soon going to be exposed for kind of you know being. Flimsy. Okay, buying buyer leads, big teams, branding, all this other silliness that people have been spending their money on, just because of the nature of the market, they had the money to do so. When the money starts to feel tighter, when the agents start to feel a little bit more compressed, if you're not there providing them the support emotionally uh, and informationally, they're they're going to freak out. They're going to go to a different broker that does. Um, this is just the cycle of things. So take advantage of the uncertainty by giving people a sense of security. That's what we do, and that's what you should do, brokers, office managers, and agents. That's what you have to do for your sellers. So we are over-preparing you, as we always do, but we don't want any of you guys to be caught off guard when finally the world catches wind and figures out what we've been saying is true, right? So you guys be over-prepared, that way you won't be surprised. If there's, uh, here's a couple suggestions for you. Uh, of course, go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com, and request a free coaching call. We're going to we're going to give you six books for the two books that we're going to give you that everyone raves about. is Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate and the Real Estate Treasure Map. Those are delivered to you digitally, so just go ahead and download those. That's number one. And number two, um, and by the way, you'll also be entitled to a free coach with one of our new member coaches. In case you haven't done this yet, I am, I hardly ever mention this other site that we created for all of you. Go to Comparacoach.com. Comparacoach.com, because a lot of you are going to be seeking out somebody to help you prepare for the changing market. Go to comparecoach.com and use that as your pre-listing pack before you or before you hire any uh, coach, even us. They're the, all the questions that you need to be asking um, before you decide who you're going to listen to and who you're going to take advice from. Otherwise, what you're going to do is you're going to meander into somebody's you know circus tent who calls themselves a coach, and you're not going to have asked how many clients you've had. You're not going to know to ask how long they've been Coaches, you're not going to know to ask if they've coached in different markets, in different price ranges, in different economies. You're not going to know to ask. Hey, by the way, Mr. Coach, have you ever sold real estate? Do you guys, listeners, are you? This is preposterous, but it's true. Do you realize that one of our biggest competitors never sold real estate before? He never sold real estate before. And occasionally, Julie and I come across one of his YouTube videos, and he actually makes it sound like he did. He lies he says, when when I was calling one of my sellers, okay, that's a lie. He never called his sellers because he never had a real estate license, you know, and here he is acting like he sold real estate before. Do you want that person being your coach? Do you want any coach in his organization basically coaching you? Is that really how you make business decisions based on someone who's, you know, basically trying to cover up the fact that they're really not even experienced enough in real estate, let alone being a coach to help you through these types of markets? Look, guys, a little harsh, a little direct, but I think you've probably come to expect that from us. Um, so, Julie, I, let's finish out the points we started yesterday.
1: Yes, and we're talking about how to handle your pendings when they seem to be turning on you. A lot of you guys have been talking about this in Premier Coaching and on the private Facebook page and you know the difficulty of keeping deals together long enough to get them to close can be one of the most stressful factors in the successful real estate professional's life. The answer is never to just see how it goes. I know that there are people out there that say it's quote normal to have 50% fallout, which I think is just as crazy as telling you it's normal to take only 50% of the listing appointments and turn them into real listings. So 50% isn't acceptable anywhere else in life. Let's not have it okay in the pending world. So let's jump back in. If you missed points one through four, get caught up at realestatecoachingradio.com on yesterday's uh, part one. So, How are we going to handle these crazy pendings? Well, point number five, if you have to quote chip in to save a deal, not that that ever happens, right? Sometimes they look to you to save the deal. Well, consider splitting the monetary contribution four ways to spread the expenditure around. You, the other agent, the buyer, the seller. Keep the money in your pocket whenever you can without without losing the deal over it. So if the only resolution is to chip in, see whether you can spread it around a bit. I've seen that happen with a lot of our premier coaching clients that thought their deals were dead because the amount to chip in was either too punishing or there was some other drama surrounding it. So you split it four ways and now we've kept the peace and the deal closes. I love that as a save strategy essentially, only when you have to get down to that. So point number six, use a transaction fee to offset some of the costs you incur from having to save deals. $397, 397 for example, uh, $397 for a transaction fee times, let's say, 18 deals, just keeping it nice and easy math here, is about $7,100 towards your slush fund or, a save, or a savings in your bank account if you don't use it. How much better would you feel if you had to pay for a, uh, like a home warranty for 400 bucks, if you just took it out of your $7,000 slush fund that you created from hey, your Joy. transaction fee? Yes.
0: So let me let me just drill down two of the things. All right. First of all, she said if you had to chip in, you know, split it four ways. I'm going to give you a little advanced coaching on that too, guys. If you're in a situation where you have to uh, modify your commission, don't do it by a percent. Don't say I'll reduce it by a percent. Do it by a dollar amount because most people are going to be thrilled if you say, listen, I'll, at closing I'll reduce the uh, t- the commission that you pay me by. 250 bucks or 500 bucks. Most most people are going to be thrilled with that. So don't just think you have to give a percent away, because non licensees don't think in terms of percents. Um, and the second thing, Julie, that you were just talking about, uh, what was the second point you were just talking about? The thing you just uh, we were
1: talking about the transaction fee creating a slush fund okay, to dip okay. into or deal saving.
0: Right. So let's talk about let's talk about that. You, a lot of you are going to be confused about that. Um, you can charge it. It's legal to charge it. Uh, It actually, there's been some legal, some court cases about this and it's legal to charge it. You just have to disclose it. Uh, And agents, you can charge this even if your broker doesn't. We did. Julie and I charged a transaction fee when we sold real estate Uh, and you can do the same thing. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you guys something. We knew people, we were charging a $395 transaction fee and this was back in the 90s, into the early 2000s. We had friends in the same era that were charging a $1,000 transaction fee or you know, $695 transaction fee. We knew a guy who was charging a $1,200 transaction fee, and a lot of the transactions he was doing were less than $100,000 and they would pay it. You can charge a transaction fee. It's not subject to a commission split in most brokerage environments. You can have that money go directly to you as an agent. Uh, you just have to disclose it, make sure it's on the HUD disclosed properly. That's it. I'll give again advanced coaching for all of you. You'll get it probably seventy five percent of the time. You can charge it on both the buyer and the seller side. if you're in a state where um the escrow, the title uh, person is you know goes through the HUD with the uh, the buyer or the seller, just explain to them ahead of time that it's a transaction fee and they're not supposed to be morons and make a thing of it. Sometimes they grandstand. I mean, that's something we had to educate our closers about. Um, you know, eventually Julie actually started closing all of our transactions for us <laughs> because she had gone to so many closings, there was no sense in having the title gal come out to the office. So they'd come out, the clients would come out to the office, so we just do the closings right there in our office and she just do it herself. But you know, there it is. So the transaction fee, as long as it's perfectly disclosed, can go directly to your pocket, not subject to a commission split. Work with your broker on it. Now, brokerages, if you're not charging a transaction fee, are you paying attention? Are you thinking through this? Why aren't you charging a transaction fee? You should be. Julie, next point.
1: You got it. Well put. All right, point number seven. If you know you have a volatile client or agent on part of your deal, Find their voicemail, use email, or even a bomb-bomb video to get your point across without them interrupting you or saying things like, my client will never accept that. That drives me crazy when you guys have to deal with that and they haven't even asked their client. When you hear, my client will never accept that or versions of that, it's because they're afraid of their client. So one of the strategies that we've had are – Um, coaching clients do is use a bomb bomb video now the purpose of recording the video to say explain your stance on a counter offer or why the seller's not in a position to contribute to closing costs whatever the case may be the key here is to not throw the other agent under the bus that's not what this is about it's in order to help them present something to their client without all of the drama attached to it you're simply stating facts here is why we're countering in the fashion that we are Please don't be offended by the fact that we're only coming down $1,500. It's because we just had a $25,000 price adjustment and we feel that we've already come down. I've seen deals saved this way by removing the drama effects that you get sometimes when it's voice to voice, person to person. You know, the, the initial reaction sometimes isn't what you're going for. So make sure that you find their voicemail or use a video to get your point across. I would not recommend text for this text actually, I think for the most part, can make it worse and be misconstrued. So, plus it doesn't count as negotiating. Uh, And that has been tested with lawsuits. So that's point number seven. Point number eight, remember Parkinson's law, which is the adage that quote, work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. This means that if you figure it'll take you all day to put this fire out on a pending deal, or that it'll take all week, that it will actually take that long. Instead, decide how long you want it to take to resolve the issue. Use a timer and give yourself an hour, maybe two hours, depending on what the issue is. But don't take all day, all week, or all month to fix it. That's just, you know, polluting your other deals. You probably should be giving, you definitely should be giving attention to other things. That doesn't mean that you ignore it, blow it off, or, you know, do a crappy job on it. It just means that you remember Parkinson's law says if you figure it's going to take forever, it will. So some of this is self-inflicted and it's curable. Point number nine, your transactions will close as long as the buyer still wants to buy and the seller still wants to sell. Your job is to lead them to the resolution. The definition of negotiation is to create a mutually agreeable outcome, not to quote, make the seller cry or make the buyer cry or beat up the other side. That's how you guys get in trouble sometimes and that's all ego related, sometimes created by the agent, sometimes by the clients, you know, but the point is that negotiating is making it to the finish line where everybody's happy. Anything you want to add so far to these? Well, but
0: Julie, yeah, you bring up, but there it is. There's another nuanced approach. A lot of you will try to get buyers or sellers, for that matter, to work uh, with you because, you know, you guys learn that watch too much Bravo TV and you think the whole point of negotiating is to basically bludgeon the other side of the transaction. Well, in a marketplace where people are already charged with a lot of stress and fear about changing markets and rates and rate locks and the nasty mortgage process and the whole thing, um, if you throw in the idea that somehow you're going to grind on the other side of the transaction and, and they don't think you have grinded hard enough, guess who they're going to grind on? You. Your job is to put the tra- your legal description of your job. Read what your license says. Is to essentially facilitate a smooth. You know, it doesn't even say smooth. It says facilitate a transaction. If a, on the listing side, it's basically very simple, limited things. Put it in the MLS. Put a sign in the yard. That's pretty much it. All your legally. Sp- now, what happens to all these? other Why is it that we have, you know, this belief that we have to that negotiating means there has to be, you know, blood on the streets? That, where does that come from? That's just ego. They're, that's just ego, guys. You make it so impossible, some of you, to close a deal because you are the one that's complicating the transaction. You are the one that's frustrating the deal. Your job is to get out of the way of the buyer and the seller coming together and close the deal, and then you're supposed to facilitate the transaction. For you to think that you're supposed to be in there and be a home inspector, or you're supposed to beat somebody up over some silly amount of money, that's just basically you trying to somehow feel better, in many cases, about the transma- about the commission you're making. Or you're trying to, you know, just basically exercise your own ego. You guys got to be really, really concentrating on not acting like that. Otherwise, you're going to kind of make close deals. So you could go in there. You could go to the mat for a buyer or a seller, and you could pat yourself on the back. Deal blows up, but I didn't let my buyer make a mistake. I hear this kind of bullshit all the time from you guys. Yeah. And what happens is that buyer's going to fire you. The buyer's not going to respect you. The buyer's going to fire you. They might not actually say, "I'm firing you, you know because of this," but they're firing you ultimately because you didn't get them a house. That's your job. The home inspector's job is to basically be the home inspector. <laughs> the, you know, the, the appraiser's job is to be the appraiser. Your job is just to get out of the way and let the other professionals do their job. You have the easy job. You have the fun part sometimes, you know, depending. You guys listening to what I'm saying? So if you see you have if you have a lot of deals fail over silliness, you have to own that. You have to realize that you're probably the reason the deals are failing. You're not essentially pre-qualifying your your clients. Uh, well, hello, even if you're working on the seller side, you get a contract from a buyer. Are you really running that buyer, making that buyer provide you a real lender's letter that shows, if, you know? A, proof that they had a three merge credit report, uh, report, proof that they have employment this system i mean there's so many different things that you have to be an expert at in a market like this otherwise you're going to have deals fail and if they fail it's not because the buyer lied or the buyer's agent lied no sure the buyer's agent probably didn't know what the hell to do with their buyer anyway to verify they could get a loan this is just an example but it doesn't matter it was your job representing your seller to do the other job to do the job on the behalf of the other client of the other agent you guys get the point This is the difference between the old market and the new market. You have to take everything you're doing to the next level or you will go broke and you'll go frustrated and then you'll try to blame everyone else. Have the mindset that anything that goes wrong in a transaction is your fault. Literally, I want you to totally, completely take responsibility for every single thing that goes south on a transaction. Just take responsibility for it and improve. And yes, that means you're going to have to do the other side's transaction work most of the time. Who cares? Do it. Don't lose deals. Don't disappoint your sellers and your buyers. Otherwise, you guys are not going to make it through the transitioning market. Next point, Julie?
1: That's for sure. None of this gets easier in a transition market. It all gets more complex. Point number 10 remember that oftentimes your clients will seem stressed out full of conflict even abusive during the process but many of them will still hug you after they close i was always amazed by this by the way i don't always walk away from closings and i know some of you guys close digitally now and you don't see them but you know it was crazy we would have done maybe two price reductions a tough home inspection negotiation had possession date problems but we made it to the finish line and you get the biggest hug they would bring me closing gifts sometimes. And I would just be stunned that they're the same person. But remember that this is the largest transaction of their lives. Remember that you do this for a living, but it's a major life event for them. So you have to give people a break here sometimes and be a little bit forgiving that this is such a stressful event. I always used to think, you know, for most people, the stress of a closing kind of brings out the worst in their reactionary Um, their emotions, very few does it bring out the best, but it needs to bring out the best in you. You need to be the rock as Tim just said. So point number 11, lighten your processing load by utilizing a transaction coordinator. Don't get lost in the documentation when you could instead be in front of a new seller. I can't believe how much agents fight this whole transaction coordinator uh, idea. I think that some of it is they don't wanna spend the money I think some of it is it's a built-in excuse to not have to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. Uh, not that this is that much fun, but it, it is a place that agents hide out so that they don't have to do things like prospecting and lead follow-up. And I think you would agree with that, Tim, that you know, I had to save my deals. It took all week. It's common that we hear.
0: Yeah, well, but, but that's part of their drama, though. That's, that's where they, that, Like you said, that's their excuse for not actually doing what they don't want to do when they don't want to do it at the highest level. No doubt.
1: Yeah, So how much is that costing some of you listening? Think about that. Point number 12, (laughs) always do your lead follow-up and prospecting before noon and your deal maintenance after noon. This way, you'll always have new appointments set and you'll feel less panicky when a deal is going sideways. Lead with profit, not with drama. And that takes a large amount of discipline to be able to do that. Part of this goes back to a previous point we shared yesterday, which has to do with how you leave your negotiations open, what time you leave them open till, and how you're managing your own time. Make allowances for being able to produce new business in the morning. Look at it this way. Let's say you find out you've got some crazy appraisal issue that you've got to deal with with a pending. Well, that is what it is. You're going to have to deal with it, but you're gonna feel a lot better dealing with it knowing that you just set a new listing appointment. That doesn't mean you're gonna let the deal tank. It just means you feel less financial panic with the prospect of it being at risk. Set your new appointments in the morning, everything else will go more smoothly in the afternoon. Plus it keeps you out of direct conflict with other agents. When your voicemail says I'm finding listings for my buyers and buyers for my listings, I'll return all calls after noon. That helps manage that as well. Okay, point number 13, remember that you are highly paid for your skill expertise and your professionalism. What's your alternative? Keep things in perspective. You know, I used to have a book on my desk that was called The World's Worst Jobs for days where I thought that real estate was the world's worst job. And I would open it up and it had these great profiles. It had a picture of what the job was. It said how crappy the pay was. And it said like what the risks were. And it was things like, you know, offshore fishermen, chance of survival, you know, four months out in the ocean, pay was something awful, can't even get health insurance because it's so risky. All right, well, that's out. Okay, what else could I do? And I just flip through a few pages, keep it real, and go, you know what? I am a highly prayed professional for my skill, my expertise, and professionalism. If I liked the other alternatives, I'd be doing them. And some of you guys really need reminded of that when you're in the thick of it. So I wonder if that book's still around. We should put it on our Harris store. That <laughs> would help them. Okay, number 14, ask for help when you need it. We handle negotiation and client management issues on premier coaching calls quite often. Learn from other what other agents are dealing with and how they solve problems through our premier coaching. We do that every single weekday. And of course, we cover a lot of different topics, price reductions, different types of scripts, prospecting, marketing, negotiation, objection handling. But from time to time, like at least two to 10 times a week, because you know we're doing five calls a week, these issues come up. I've got this situation, I'm not sure how to handle it, I don't wanna lose the deal, this agent's yelling at me, my client's freaking out, what do I do? So get help if you need it. You don't have to go through this alone. I know sometimes real estate can be very isolating and you feel like you're the only one being stressed out, get help. That's what we're here for. So back to you, Tim, and I have to get to Premier.
0: So get help indeed, guys. Request a free coaching call at freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Um, a quick reminder, we are going to be doing a live event, though I'm pretty sure it's all sold out. Um, go to Harris VIP Mastermind. We're doing it at the end of this month here in Austin, Texas. Um, We're going to be doing another event in Hawaii in December. Um, And we've also got live events booked, I believe, all the way through April of 2019. Um, These are events hosted where we're basically, uh, you know, somebody else is hosting it. But if you um, are interested in attending, even if you're not, say, for example, a member of that local MLS or whatnot, you can still attend, just coordinate directly through them. We'll be posting more information about our upcoming speaking Uh, schedule on the website and sharing all that with you guys as well. As you know, Julie and I do not look for big, huge, you know, billion people events. We like the small events because we're, you know, we're professional real estate coaches This is what we do. The big rah-rah type things where we're not able to actually disseminate information, that's not our thing. We want to make it so that when we're communicating with you guys, We can reach every single one of you, and we can have a meaningful impact so that when you leave that room, it's not, oh, they made me feel good, rah, rah. It's that I have direct, actionable information that can put me in a position to help others and make money today, tomorrow, and the rest of my career. So look for that speaking uh, schedule to be announced soon. And uh, some of you have been asking about the release of our new book. I think I got four emails about that. The new book is not coming out until really probably mid-next year. And it is going to be either called Harris Rules Revisited, Harris Rules Revised, Harris Rules Updated. Um, it's essentially taking the first book that we uh, released that became an international bestseller, and we have added a ton of additional content to it. We've been kind of foreshadowing some of that um, information on the podcast. You guys have an idea of what the new book is going to be about. We're doing the best job we possibly can drilling you, drilling down on all the stuff that matters, uh, when it comes to being a successful business owner, a successful entrepreneur, and most importantly, a successful real estate professional. If you guys need us for anything, it's Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. Have a fantastic day. Remember, you guys can listen to our show anytime it's over on iTunes, or you can just go to TimAndJulieHarris.com and just click on the podcast uh, link, but iTunes and Stitcher and all the rest of it, we're, uh, it's syndicated everywhere. Have a great day. Talk with you on the radio tomorrow.